So now at exactly 7.42, we can, as promised, go a little bit closer into the North Korea situation. A surreal last few days. I've seen South Korean artists perform before thousands of North Koreans, including North Korean music and a South Korean ballad reportedly requested by leader Kim Jong-un himself. But... As the South's art troupe returned last night, can this so-called music diplomacy lead to denuclearization and peace? To get more analysis on the cultural exchange side, first of all, let's bring in Professor Adam Cathcart, North Korean Studies and Chinese History at the University of Leeds, and thank you for joining us. Happy to be with you. Thank you. So we've seen, you know, in the fairly recent past, propaganda blaring across the border in the form of K-pop, and now we've got a K-pop group in Red Velvet and other artists actually performing in Pyongyang and, and, and it being completely accepted by North Korea's regime. What's the major difference there and how much of a turnaround has this been? Well, certainly the cosmetics of it are, are astounding, are they not? And there's division system uh, seems to be uh, not breaking down, but at least to have little moments of of uh, of, of unity, uh, certainly as possible. And I think that the um, but the division system itself is not gone; it's not dissolved with this concert. And I think what we can see is that, um, really, if we want to look at it somewhat politically, uh, that there's been um, sort of a thaw at the very top levels of the Korean Workers Party. Uh, where the debate has has basically it's not been won necessarily conclusively, but people like Kim Jong Un uh, and the top cultural bureaucrats have decided that the, the gains uh, politically from this and di- diplomatically from this uh, are uh, outweigh the risks. Um, we still don't see them, for example, though having a joint uh, symphony orchestra. That's been something the South Koreans have pushed for for quite some time, uh, and uh, so there there are still limits to this. It's, it remains a bit of a one-off, I suppose. Um, but, but I think, yeah, absolutely, the cosmetics of it are astounding. But it, it also seems particularly significant that we're talking about pop music here. I mean, symphony orchestras would be great, but pop music has that wide-reaching appeal that can and has many times in history brought about cultural shifts, cultural trends, and so on. And through this experience, we've been learning or reminding ourselves of how popular some South Korean music has been in North Korea, like Pek Young's ballad, Like Being Shot by a Bullet, um, uh, Cho Yong-pil's Cafe of the Winter, apparently even a favourite of Kim Jong-il's. Uh, despite the censorship in the North, how are these people being exposed before performances like this to this music? Well, I think the North Korean leadership and the, the, the state certainly understands that uh, there's been relatively wide exposure given the, the very, very strong disincentives, legal and otherwise, uh, for North Korean youth in particular, but people who are sort of in middle age and, and even older uh, to, to absorb uh, South Korean music, which, as I understand it, comes in on USBs and thumb drives and things of that nature. Um, but you have to remember, the North Koreans uh, watched the East German example. They watched East Germany dissolve uh, in part because of this kind of cultural exposure to the West, rock music, Bruce Springsteen playing in Berlin. And um, I've actually been in the East German archives and seen the kind of the South North Korean youth leagues. In fact, the same guys who are in charge now, uh, Che ryong one of the top uh, North Korean Workers' Party officials, was in charge of the youth league uh, and went to Berlin for a while in the 1980s and watched this. So I think they recognize that uh, there has been wide exposure, relatively wide exposure, but they've still got all these various levers, like the youth leagues, um, and that their own cultural production, the Moron Mong Band, 
uh, is a rather hesitant, I think, uh, and a sort of a up and down uh, attempt to kind of um, an uneven, I should say, attempt to uh, to kind of replicate South Korean cultural production in a North Korean context. So, compared with the past and the so-called Sunshine Policy era, I mean, we. we We've seen music diplomacy before. We've seen a lot of things more than a decade ago. Um, you wrote about that Philharmonic uh, visit to North Korea, the New York Philharmonic visit, uh, as part of the soft power approach. Can you just draw some comparisons and and whether there are any signs of things being particularly different this time around? Well, I think the inter-Korean diplomacy certainly seems more robust than the American-North Korean diplomacy was in 2008. You had uh, two states at that time. I mean, the Americans were really pushing for almost an annihilation, uh, certainly a high-pressure campaign uh, against the, the North Korean states, uh, going after them as part of the axis of evil, uh, You know, Iraq uh, and Syria being, and Iran being other uh, kind of targets of American discussion at the time. And then the Americans finally sort of softened near the end of the second Bush administration, um, and what we saw was that this was there was it was really interesting because the the Americans uh, sort of played this game where they said, well, this is a non-governmental um, initiative. We're allowing sort of uh, uh, patrons of the New York Philharmonic to set this up, and we have interlocutors like Tony Namkung or others who can help us set this up. But this is not the State Department uh, setting up this concert in North Korea, and we don't have high expectations. Condoleezza Rice said Dvorak is not going to sort of change Pyongyang's political calculus. So kind of downplaying the visit, even though they had high expectations that, and hopes that it would lead to more breakthroughs on the diplomatic front. Whereas in this case, you've got very clear government-to-government -government engagement on the part of the two Koreas, uh, the unification uh, ministry, the cultural ministry, uh, and, uh, and then, of course, very evident um, uh, continuation of those ongoing discussions uh, with Kim Jong-un uh, that had uh, started in early March. So I think this is, we've got more reason to be bullish. But of course, even if it does flare out, there are still small uh, small steps forward, I think, um, that we can take away. You know, for example, when the New York Philharmonic went to North Korea, they did a joint orchestra concert. There were master classes. And one of the students, uh, North Korean students, who played in the orchestra with the New York Philharmonic, who participated in the classes, was uh, Myun Kyung Jin, who is uh, one of the prize-winning violinists, went on to perform in Paris and since was purged, allegedly. Um, but uh, these are kind of things, if you kind of track the individuals involved, who can they, people can benefit on both sides, presumably. One major difference we've seen this time around, Kim Jong-un actually being present, full of praise, having photos with artists. It's just, I mean, like you say, uh, cosmetically fascinating. Um, but we haven't talked a lot about China and the influence that that could have in the mix. Uh, Kim Jong-un also went to China recently. Uh, does all this make for a fascinating and potentially hopeful scenario just to conclude before we join our next guest? Sure. I think that uh, there's a lot of hope, certainly. Uh, when we talk about China, uh, they certainly want to encourage inter-Korean inter um, sort of a thaw. They want to encourage a, a peaceful resolution of the, of the issue, obviously. Often when we look at China and North Korea, we think of it as all or nothing. China's either got all the cards or they've got no influence at all or they're going to uh, solve the problem or make it much worse, and the sanctions are a huge part of that. And that's a huge part of what's driving, I think, of course, North Korea opening up to the South. Uh, 
Um, but at the end of the day, with North Korea and China, you have a durable party-to-party relationship that mm. is going to kind of outstrip and outlast some of these other trends. But the Chinese don't want to be left out of, the, out of the loop. Xi Jinping pushed for cultural diplomacy, more people-to-people exchanges, and those are going on between the Koreas, which is exciting, but the Chinese don't want to be left out of those as well. So they're, they're, they're keeping the door open, I think, to uh, more interaction, in spite of having sent a lot of people back through the sanctions, North Korean workers, back to North Korea. Right. I think they're open to more um, singers and things of that nature coming, into, coming to China. Professor Cathcart, thank you. My pleasure. Meanwhile, the clock is running towards April 27th, the date set for an inter-Korean summit, the first in 11 years, which will then be very much influential on a possible US-North Korea summit that's being talked about for May, although the details for that are certainly less concrete. Michael Madden is a visiting scholar at the US-Korea Institute, Johns Hopkins University, a contributor to 38 North. Thank you also for joining us. Sure thing. And an article published by 38 North says the issue of U.S. troops on the peninsula will undoubtedly come up. And we've seen even this week uh, North Korea's state-run media uh, warning South Korea against continued cooperation with foreign powers. It seems impossible to imagine how North Korea is going to agree to denuclearization without serious concessions on the U.S. military front. Well, uh, the the issue of U.S. troops um, on the Korean Peninsula for North Korea is is fungible from their end. There, Kim Jong Il uh, said years ago that you know he understood that even in the in the event of uh, unification between the two Koreas, he he thought that that the U.S. troop presence would be necessary as a kind of a regulating force. Uh, but uh, the the analysis that we had put out at Thirty Eight North is is that this is something that, that could be a phased withdrawal or something like that. It's not an all or nothing. The same applies to denuclearization. Um, it, it, this is all a series of phases and stages and, and certain benchmarks. And I think that's what the, the withdrawal of U.S. troops or U.S. forces Korea is something for North Korea. It's an opening uh, negotiating point. So a sensible, common-sense outcome would be slow, gradual, reducing the possibility of any jumpiness or mistakes uh, and could potentially then end up with uh, a far less dangerous North Korea but also a a South Korea ultimately with far less US protection Uh, that's what it it could involve it it did I mean that we're we're, we got to see what uh, what what Pyongyang is going to look for uh, uh, in, on that front? It could it may not be a matter of personnel. It could be a matter of equipment. It could be a matter of uh, scaling down uh, joint military exercises over the years. It's the, but the the opening point for North Korea will be calling for that. Um, but as I say, it's, it, it, these are both denuclearization and any any withdrawal of USFK is is something that's going to take um, at least a decade. You will know very well through your work with 38 North and others, that the intelligence coming out of North Korea, the satellite imagery suggests that the country is has got quite an extensive network of um, nuclear facilities. Even if they could be disbanded, they've built that technology up, they've got the know-how. You can't uh, close that door once it's open, can you? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, and and I, I, that's actually an interesting point I've been trying to put that out there for for a little while now is is that um no north korea could you know theoretically get rid of all of its nuclear weapons uh and uh destruct uh, or destroy all of the industrial 
uh, and research support network that goes into it, but they're still going to have designs, uh, paper designs and things on their books, and they're still going to have uh, the human capital that you need to run that program. So, I mean, uh, uh, it would take them years to rebuild it up if they were to, as I say, if they were to destroy it tomorrow in, in its entirety. Um, it would take a, a, a number of years to build it up, but that that's entirely accurate, that they would still have that. An incoming National Security Advisor, John Bolton, seems to think that, uh, or he has in the past at least, seemed to think that uh, a more so safe solution for the U.S. would be to, to consider military action. He's also been very suspicious about North Korea perhaps just prolonging time to build up its nuclear arsenal further. What, what do you expect from the U.S. with John Bolton involved as an advisor? I, I, it, it's, it's very difficult to say. Uh, a lot of the commentary that's been associated with them on North Korea, um, I mean, he's, got a, he's got a 10 or 20-year, almost 20-year record or track record of commentary on North Korea. Uh, we don't know what the level of influence um, he's going to have. He is going to be one of number of uh, principals in the U.S. government um, that have a voice. And there, you know, all all presidential administrations, there's always a cleavage or difference of opinion between uh, senior principals in the U.S. government. So it it remains to be seen. The whole by time or North Korea is going to have time to do certain things. I mean, that's that's sort of a fallacy. Um, <clears throat> Until there is an agreement, until there's some agreements in place, um, and and they they get the legal language written on that to be solid, uh, North Korea does have time uh, to do any number of things. This was the same nonsense that came up prior to the Olympics. Well, there's you know two weeks or three weeks, North Korea can develop its missile program or nuclear program. Well, of course, um, and last time I checked, we don't have a closed circuit television cameras in these facilities so of course they're going to continue to do that kind of stuff they're just not going to do anything provocative and in, in, in public in the way of ballistic missile drills or nuclear weapon detonations or anything like that um but but no i mean until as i say it's it's, it's a very facetious argument that 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 generally gets tossed around because there's yeah. a lot of other things they can do in support of the developing that program huh? well it does seem on the north korea front that we do have a lot of opinions and not all of them are grounded uh, in, in expertise but then again it's hard to be a North Korea expert and know everything that's going on there uh, you are closer than most to that Michael Madden Johns Hopkins University 38 North <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today thank you sir take care